Mark chapter 6, as we continue to work through this marvelous book, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Priorities. Priorities are what makes the world work in many ways. We all have our priorities in life, and yours are going to be different than mine. Mine are going to be different than yours on a day-to-day basis. Uh, There may be some overlap, there may be some similarities, but they're going to look different just based on uh, the different contexts and spheres in which we find ourselves in. Sometimes there are things that come along in life, even though we may have our set list of priorities of things we would perhaps like to accomplish within a day or goals that we have set. We may have our priorities, but then something comes along and it causes us to change our priorities kind of midstream, right? It just, it just kind of forces a change there. That happened to me just this week. I uh, went in for a tooth evaluation and ended up with a root canal that day. Not what I had planned, not what I had been hoping to accomplish that day. I had electrical projects scheduled. I had to rearrange my priorities for that afternoon. Sometimes things come along that force us to change our priorities. Well, if we do not have our priorities straight and if we do not have them well ordered, we can certainly make a mess of our own lives. Necessary things can be neglected or we could spend too much time on things that really don't matter. And there are many issues that we can experience in life that can be fixed simply by rearranging our priorities and getting our priorities straight. That is generally true in life, but that is also true when we seek to live life on mission for the gospel of Christ. Several weeks ago, we saw Jesus commission the twelve for ministry, and in our text today, we're going to see Jesus continue to teach His disciples and show us what it means to live life on mission as He sets forth three priorities for us within our text today. So with that, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to pick things up in verse 30, where we will see the first of these priorities. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told Him all that they had done and taught. And He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now this is not usually what we would see perhaps in a, in a list of priorities as being something that's at the top of the list. We have our, the priority of rest. But remember, we're kind of picking things up midstream here as we are following along within this chapter where Jesus has sent the disciples out and we're picking this up after what seemed like a brief interruption to the storyline with the account of John the Baptist, how he had been thrown into prison and killed by King Herod. But if we rewind ourselves back to verses 7 through 13, there we find the commissioning of the 12 disciples to go out and to do ministry out into the world. And we learned from that text that we are to live life on mission, and we learned a little bit about what that looks like there. And so what did the disciples do? Well, they, they got after it. They went out and they began to do the ministry that Jesus had commissioned them to do. They lived a mission-active life. They were telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ and they were doing miraculous things, excuse me, miraculous things by the power of the one who had sent them. In verses 14 through 29, we saw that 
interruption, so to speak, in that storyline because Mark wanted to remind his readers, hey, if you're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, and if you're going to live your life in this way, you need to be aware that there are some individuals who are going to oppose and reject you and your message. Some people will reject and they will do harmful things to those who wish to follow Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, nevertheless, there is a certain excitement about living life on mission. Earlier in this book, Jesus used the metaphor of, of proclaiming the Word of God. He, he used it to being like planting a seed. You're, you're, you're proclaiming the Word of God. You're planting a seed in the ground. And, and, and you don't know what's happening there under the soil. You don't know how God is going to use that seed to produce fruit. But, but God uses that in different ways. And eventually along comes the stock up, pops the head, and the, it grows and eventually produces fruit. And it's an amazing thing. It's an exciting thing that, that fruit is able to be produced from the proclamation of the Word of God. And I'm not talking about preaching like I'm doing right now, although that is certainly an applicable way that that can happen, but even just communicating the Word of God to other individuals, sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ. And we don't always get to see the fruit of our efforts, right? Sometimes we plant, and as Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Right? Sometimes different people have a part in the process, but it's God who's the one who's at work. So we don't always get to see the fruit of our efforts, but sometimes we do. And sometimes we have the benefit and the blessing of, of reaping what, what others have sown, but when we do get to see that fruit produced, it is truly an exciting and an encouraging thing to see the Word of God powerfully impacting someone's heart and getting a hold of their lives and getting a hold of their heart and seeing them transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so, so I can picture the disciples, all right, they, they've been going out into the world, they've been doing all these miracles, they're casting out demons, people are getting healed, all this amazing thing is going on and they're coming back to Jesus and they're telling him, these are all the great things that happened, this is all the things that we did, Lord, and he's telling them all about it. There certainly would have been great joy and excitement upon their faces seeing people's lives changed by the power of the gospel of Christ. And I hope that that is something that would be exciting. Right? When you think about people's lives being changed, when, when someone comes to realize their lost condition and the reality of what will happen if they have to stand before God on judgment day, and when they realize that their only hope is through Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on the cross, and when they embrace that, repenting of their sins and trusting in the work of Him alone to save them, then they begin to see Christ reorder their lives and to make them more like Christ, more like Him. It's a beautiful thing. It's a truly beautiful and marvelous thing. Seeing lives changed because of what Jesus did, it's, in some ways it's almost beyond description in terms of how wonderful that it is. Well, when we live mission-active lives with a mission-first priorities, there is a danger that can be associated with that. We can be so caught up in the work of, of the ministry, the work of just carrying out the mission that He has given us that we can fail to properly rest from our labor. 
And that is what Jesus reminds us of in this text today. Now, sometimes when we begin talking about living life on mission and, the, and the, uh, the disciples being commissioned and sent out for ministry, that we can have a temptation to think about this in the context of this as, well, this is really about people who are active in full-time Christian ministry. So maybe this is pastors, maybe this is missionaries around the world, or maybe this is other individuals that are in some kind of full-time vocational ministry. And we can have our minds go that direction. There certainly is application to that, But I think there is application here that applies broadly to all of us as we are living out our lives as believers in Jesus Christ on this earth. Two sermons ago, I defined living life on mission like this. Living life on mission is the is the concept of Christians living as Christians by taking the gospel with them and making disciples wherever they go. Living life on mission is Christians, living as Christians, taking the gospel with them and making disciples wherever they go. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. And for whatever it's worth, there are people who are in full-time ministry that aren't living life on mission. And on the flip side, there are individuals who, who they have... Jobs that aren't ministry jobs, and yet they are some of the most mission-minded individuals that I know. I remember a while back I had breakfast with this one individual, and he was not in full-time Christian ministry, and yet this individual had such a heart for people, such a heart for the souls of the lost, that it was always on his lips. He was always on his heart. He was always having spiritual conversations with people from the waiters or the waitresses to just people he would interact with. And it, it was just so natural to him. He was so gracious and so gentle, but he was always there, always having spiritual conversations with individuals. Well, this is the context of this first priority that we see in our text today. Individuals that are active in mission, active carrying out the the mission that Christ has given to His disciples. And Jesus reminds His disciples that you need to take time to rest. So rest is not the first overall priority. It's the first priority we see in our text today. But it's not the first overall priority because it is in the context of individuals who are already prioritizing the mission. But here we have Jesus calling the disciples to rest a while. Look at verse 31. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Several things about that. They were were to, to get away, to separate themselves from all the things, all the busyness of things that were going on. They were to go by themselves. They were to, get, to, to go in a bit of isolation. They were to go by themselves. And then they were to go to a desolate place where there were no other individuals around. A place that would likely be free from intrusion or distraction. And they were to rest. They were to rest. Mark explains why this was a priority for Jesus for them. He says in verse, at the end of verse 31, For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Well, that word for leisure, it, it may not necessarily refer to something just like, you know, just 
recreation, so to speak, but it just speaks of there's no time, there's no opportunity, there's no moment where they could just sit down and take a break and consume a meal. Like, it, it just wasn't there because they were so active in ministry, they were so conscious of the mission and so engaged in that that they did not have any margin in their lives for just simple things like having a meal. It was all people all the time such that even eating the meal was a complicated endeavor. Again, this is the context in which Jesus is reminding the disciples of the priority of rest. Why does Jesus want to bring them aside to rest? Why is rest important? Why is that something that should be prioritized if there's so, much, so many things going on? Well, I think first of all, we can see Jesus cares about his disciples. He cares for them. He cares about their well-being. You know, it's common today we have this language that has been developed in the last several years about the concept of self-care, that that's, that's a concept that is used. And there are some ways where I think the concept of self-care can go off the rails in a lot of contexts, but there is the very real reality and the need to genuinely care for ourselves, and scriptures do point us to, to be watchful over ourselves and to be watchful over our own lives so that we can be useful for, in service to others. Scripture reminds us of this in several places. And by way of, of illustration, we think of, you know, when you get on an airplane and there's always those in, the safety instructions, all right, this is how you buckle your seatbelt, as if none of us know how to buckle seatbelts. Now, we know how to buckle seatbelts, right? Well, it's a reminder to do it because it's, it's about safety. What happens when the oxygen masks fall from the ceiling? What's the instructions there? Put yours on first and then help others. Well, why? why? Why would you not try to help other people? Well, if, if there's a lack of oxygen and you, you're passing out, well, then you're no good to yourself or to the other people you're trying to help. So you put the oxygen mask on and then you're able to help others along the way. So there is an appropriateness to taking time for ourselves so that we can be of more service to others. We can help other people when we are appropriately caring for ourselves. The concept of rest goes all the way back to creation itself. The Lord created in six days and then he rested on the seventh day. Not because he was tired. God is inexhaustible. He does not get tired. But he was setting that precedent for us. He was setting that example for us of what we needed within our own lives to rest. Some individuals are described as workaholics. Perhaps their motto in life is, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, I, I don't need to do that now. I got all these other things to do. Well, if that's your approach to life, this may be a principle that you need to incorporate within your life for, the, for your own well-being and the well-being of those around you because the reality is failure to rest involves several dangers. One is burnout. We can run ourselves into the ground, running full throttle until there's no gas left. This can be damaging to our own personal physical health, to our spiritual health, but also to the relationships of those we hold most dear around us. There's also the danger of something we could call flame out, 
We can be so busy with life and ministry that we never take a moment to keep watch over our own souls and we can fall into serious sin, which leads to a crash and burn in life. The mission is damaged. The family life falls apart and life is just rotten. There's an individual that, he was a pastor that was beginning to come His teachings were becoming to become more popular for a period of time during my time in high school and then early college life, and he was becoming more well-known in different areas. Well, all of a sudden, he had a moral failure, and all of that ended. And he wrote on his blog about what were some of the causes of that, and one of those he pointed to was how he never gave time for reflection to take a moment to consider what he was doing. And so he just ran through all the stop signs because he just never stopped to read them. Failing to take time to rest can be disastrous. Now there is multiple ends of this pendulum. We can ignore the principle of rest altogether. Well, and we can let the pendulum swing so far to the other way that we can over-prioritize rest and I think the Bible has a different word for that. It's just called laziness. <laughs> we, can, we can just say, oh, yeah, I'm resting, I'm resting, when we're in reality we're just being lazy. We must not take passages like this as justification for laziness. The context, again, is one where the disciples were so active in ministry that they're completely covered up and they didn't even have time to eat. So for those who are active on mission, rest must be a priority. Well, in our text, Jesus calls the disciples aside, and so they get in a boat, and they, as long as they're in that boat, there is a certain amount of rest. There's a break from all the ministry pressures of things going on, but Jesus is caring for them in that. But as they're in the midst of that rest, as they're traveling across the sea to the other side, they're headed to a desolate place. Well, look what happens next within our text, beginning in verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and they began to teach them many things. They didn't even get to the place where they were going for the purpose of rest, and yet here all these people now come along and are coming to see Jesus. I knew someone a while back who liked to fish, and one of the reasons why was not because he actually liked fishing himself. He just liked to get out and away from people and spend the time alone. He could spend that time thinking. He could spend that time in prayer to the Lord and Taking the fishing pole with him, that was the easy excuse, I guess, to get out and away from people. Well, he had a particular spot that he liked to go to, but, but if there was somebody else there that beat him to that spot, it would, would kind of like defeat the purpose of him going there, right? He would he'd be like, oh no, someone has beat me to the spot here. Well, here Jesus is getting in the boat with the disciples to go to the quiet spot, and well, now there's some people that have beat him there, and they're there to see him. They're there to interact with him. Well, how does Jesus respond here? Jesus was seeking to make rest a priority, but now that rest is being interrupted by people. So does he send them away? No, no, I, I came here to rest, everybody. That's not, we're not doing this today. Y'all go home. 
Does he just inform them of that? Does he ignore them? Just like, well, I'm just going to pretend they're not here. I'm just going just to go over here. What does the text say? What does Jesus do? The text says, when he saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them. Compassion. The word compassion that comes from a word group that refers to the inward parts of a person. So we think of the old-timey way of saying that. That's our bowels, right? Our, like the inward parts of the person. The idea is that there's a response there that you feel it in your gut towards someone. And if you ever, you ever come across an individual where you just, you just feel like it just, it, that, we even use that terminology, oh, it was just gut-wrenching when I saw you know, such and such a thing unfolding. Well, that's Jesus here. He has a, an emotional response to seeing these people. It's something that you can, you can feel in a physical way. The idea of compassion, that the way we define this in English, the concept of compassion, it, it's a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by some misfortune. It's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Stated more simply, Seeing someone in need and having a desire to meet that need. It's compassion. It's compassion. And that's Jesus when he sees this crowd. He sees the people and the text describes the people in a particular way. He said he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I was reading about what happens to sheep this week if they are left unattended. What happens to to sheep? Do they need a shepherd? Could they survive in the wild? Sheep seem to be wired to follow each other around. They don't walk in straight lines. They're always kind of looking around to see where the other sheep around them are going. And they're always trying to go around with each other. They're going in different directions. They walk in winding paths so that they can see in front and behind them, but not so that they can be aware of their surroundings, but so that they can be aware of what the other sheep are doing because they want to do that too. And so they're just constantly kind of moving around in that way. Well, what can happen because of this, if they're not careful about where they're going, they can be prone to simply just walking over the edge of a cliff for no reason whatsoever Because they weren't watching where they were going, they were watching the other sheep. And then the other sheep, they could just follow along in that same pathway and you can have a whole flock of sheep go right over the edge of a cliff. Without a shepherd, sheep cannot get food and water that they need to survive. They don't have like an internal GPS for them to to find water or to find grazing pasture lands. They, they, they don't know how to do that. They have to be led to the place where they will feed. They are also defenseless creatures, right? They don't have a way of, of defending themselves if there is an attack upon them. If a predator comes amongst them, they have no way to defend themselves. They're completely defenseless and are easy prey for wolves. Finally, if sheep are not tended, what will happen is their wool will begin to become overgrown. It will get matted, it will get heavy, it will get dirty. Diseases and parasites can begin to grow and live within the wool itself. 
and they will begin to die because of their own wool. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. And that fact that, that Jesus views these individuals, he sees them, they're like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion upon them. But there's, there's also an element where there's an indictment upon the spiritual leadership of, within the land of Israel at that time. Where are the Pharisees? Where, where are these other religious leaders? Where are the scribes? They're supposed to be teaching the people. They're supposed to be instructing them about how to follow the Lord and, and live out that way. But these individuals are so desperate for truth. When Jesus sees them, he says, they're not being led. They're not being taught. They're not being tended. They're not being cared for. And so he sees them as individuals with spiritual needs. And he desires to tend to them. So moved with compassion, he takes action. And what does he do? What does he do? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, he's, he has compassion on them. And so he begins to teach them many things. He teaches them. His first go-to response there is to teach them, to seek to minister to their spiritual needs. In this context here, you know, there's a lot of things that Jesus was doing in his ministry. Right? He's healing people. And he's doing all these things. And, and Mark is very focused a lot of times on a lot of the, the miraculous things that Jesus is doing, demonstrating his authority over different areas of nature and different things going on in the world. And he has all this authority. And yet here the priority is not about Jesus healing physically, but he is teaching them. Instruction. He sees them as people with spiritual needs and he seeks to meet that by teaching them truth. Living life on mission is going to give us eyes to see people and their spiritual needs. These people in our text, they needed a shepherd. Well, people that we encounter in life, they need a shepherd as well. It's so easy for us to look, and I can think of just even in my own life and my own experience of interacting with individuals who were just so self-guided and they had, they had no direction in life. They had no one to come along and help them and to teach them. They were in rebellion and rejection of what the Lord says is good and right. And they were just making so many self-destructive life choices. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Running headlong over the cliff for no reason. When we encounter people like this, will we be individuals to lead them to the good shepherd? To lead them to the shepherd of their souls who will care for them, who will tend to them, who will teach them and grow them? Will we lead people to Jesus like a shepherd leads sheep to water? We sang Psalm 23 earlier, the Lord is my Shepherd, I shall not want. That psalm describes God's love and care for His people. And we, we have the opportunity to lead people to this shepherd. So a life on mission sees people with their spiritual needs. It, it prioritizes when there is a spiritual need that is there that I could speak to that. I could, I could open my mouth and communicate God's truth in that situation. 
So Life on Mission sees people with their spiritual needs, has compassion on them, and teaches the Word of God. This can look differently in different contexts. There can be a variety of ways. It doesn't have to be complicated. Or we don't have to teach someone a systematic theology class, right? It doesn't have to be complicated at all. It can be simple comments. You know, maybe someone's expressing a trouble that they're having in life. Simple comments like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian and, and we can struggle with these things too. But in the Bible, God teaches us how we deal with problems in such and such a way. And when we come to Him in faith, He gives us the strength to handle it. Or we can say things like, I'm sorry you're going through that. God's design for the world was, was not to be so burdened with sin, but, but you know, the Bible says that God is going to bring perfect justice into the world and whatever thing that's going wrong within your life, it will one day be addressed. But the question is, have you ever thought about what would happen to me and you when that justice does come? Will we be able to stand before Him? And we have an opportunity, we have a doorway to the gospel through conversations like that. We can point people to the great shepherd, show them Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus here, he sees the people in need of a shepherd and he seeks to be that shepherd for them. So he teaches them that as time progresses, another need arises within our text. Look at verse 35. <clears throat> And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them some, themselves something to eat. So remember, they were going to an isolated place to rest, so they're away from the villages, away from the towns, away from resources and things that would have been available. But now there are the people, and it's getting late, and they're getting hungry, and so the disciples' solution is, Hey, they need to go. They need to go back to where they can get something to eat. They need to tend to their own physical needs. But Jesus is trying to teach them some divine truth here. If he sends the people away, that, that teaching opportunity is lost. And so he gives them instruction in verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them to eat? Two hundred denarii, a denarii is a day's wages. So two hundred days' wages worth of food. It's a lot of food. If you think about how much you make in one day and how much food that that would purchase? How much bread would that purchase? The disciples are flabbergasted at Jesus' suggestion here. Like, are you really suggesting? Do you, do you know what you're asking us of right now, Jesus? Are we really supposed to do that? How are we supposed to do that? Well, Jesus, of course, knew that they, that they didn't have what they needed to accomplish that task, right? He knew that. But again, there's an opportunity to showcase his power. And so let's look at what follows here in verses 38 through 44. And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. 
Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. So with just five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus does a miracle. He breaks apart the bread and the fish and he keeps breaking them and he just never runs out of food. The food is multiplied to such an extent that that everyone eats their field and there's enough left over that 12 baskets full remain. Just another example of Jesus Christ and meeting physical needs. And we've seen this several times throughout the book, right? We've seen Jesus' love, we've seen his care, we see how he desires to meet people's physical needs through his compassion. His compassion doesn't only extend to people's spiritual needs, even though we would rightly say that's really the most important need that they would have, that they would be reconciled to the Father. Jesus desires to meet that need, but he also has compassion on their physical needs as well. As we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to be disciples of Him and followers and imitators of Christ, you know, we can look at passages like this and we can say, okay, you know, that's great that Jesus did that. I can't do that. Right? I don't have the power to multiply bread for people. That's just not something that I have the ability to do. That's true. We don't have that ability. But I think that might miss the point a little bit of this passage. Sometimes we don't have a lot to offer by way of being able to meet people's physical needs. The disciples, they looked around and all they had was five loaves of bread and two fish. That would not be enough to feed all of these people. 5,000 men. Sometimes we can only give $5 when the need is 100 Or we can only give 15 minutes when there's a need for two hours. Or maybe we can only provide one change of clothes when the need is a whole wardrobe. But I think we could also be amazed at what Jesus can do with $5 or 15 minutes or one change of clothes. Now, there may not be a physical multiplication of those physical resources of those things themselves, but, but it, you could be amazed at what Jesus can do with that $5, 15 minutes, or whatever else, and He can multiply the blessing of that. Even if what you have to offer is not sufficient to meet the whole need, sometimes just being willing to do what you can is so meaningful to a person. Jesus is able to take that and bring about other blessings and bring about spiritual fruit in the lives of an individual through the desire and the effort of seeking to meet physical needs. And the disciples, they picked up 12 baskets full of food. There was so much left over. There was an abundance of left over. Jesus can do so much with what might feel like just a little bit of thing that we have. 
there is a priority that we should have of seeking to meet people's physical needs as well. Living life on mission means that we are willing to do, as Paul says, I am delighted to spend and be spent for your sake. But in that process, we also must make sure that we are taking the appropriate time to rest or else that mission will meet a premature end within our own lives we run the risk of burnout or flame out. But at that same time, there is a reality that that rest should be interruptible. When we see people who have needs and we're able to meet that need or, or at, least, at least take a step towards meeting that need, will we have compassion when we see someone in need? Will we teach them the truth of, of God's Word In so doing, we will follow in the footsteps of Jesus who is able to take our measly efforts and multiply the blessings in ways that we never would have guessed. All to the honor and the glory of our Savior. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time that we have here today. Lord, we are not individuals of limitless resources. There's only so much that we can do. We are not physically able to meet every physical need that we see in the world. We're not physically able to meet every spiritual need that we come across. But Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful to do what we can and let you do the rest with what we cannot. Thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ and his compassion. Lord, that compassion has been extended to us and continues to be so. May we seek to show that same compassion to a needy world around us. I thank you. I praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray.